0: Hi, I'm Melissa Italiano, founder of Melissa Natural Perfumes and your host for the With Intent podcast where I'll be bringing you insightful conversations with everyday inspired people living with intent. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment and share. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. A little while ago, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Constance Hall, mother of seven, blogger author, entrepreneur, campaigner, philanthropist, social media personality. Her personality is big and energy huge. She's raw and unconventional and is a global success with women all over the world for telling and showing us how her life really is. She swears, wears her heart on her sleeve and has the most infectious laugh. People either love Constance or in her words, hate her. I loved spending time with her, and love how she's inadvertently supporting and helping to empower women. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you for listening. So here we are with Constance Hall, Con, and I have just spent how many hours? Two hours <laughs> talking pre-podcast. So hopefully we've still got something to chat about. But welcome, Con. I'm so honoured to have you. Thank you. I'm so honoured to
1: be here. It's funny you say that because before I left the house, I was like, Den and my husband wanted to have. To go and do something at one, and I said to him, I don't know if I'll make it back in time. He goes, You're not doing a four hour podcast.
0: And I was like, For some reason, it's like I knew <laughs> we might get carried away. <laughs> I, I listened to M. Rossiano's yes. podcast that you did just last week, I think it was, and you said that you don't do small interviews. <laughs> what
1: I meant was like today, tonight. Do you know what I mean? I meant I don't do like small media (laughs) (laughs) but i definitely do interviews like this with like interesting women i wouldn't call you small
0: (laughs) Uh, thank you i I was flattered i was like wow she's (laughs) but this has been a long time coming so
1: yeah you've been very patient
0: i'm cagey with everybody i
1: always think oh i don't want to lock myself into especially being at someone's home you know like you go to someone's home or them coming to yours because you can't get away so i just don't usually commit to anything ever but Then when I saw you in the supermarket last week, we were just pushing trolleys in the supermarket and I was like, okay, I don't need to be. (laughs) I can definitely engage with this woman very easily. And yeah,
0: here we are. I want to pick up on um, why you do what you do, because I read that um, you don't actually like the internet and you've made a business around the internet and social media. Um, But can you, yeah, just, I guess, um, share why you do what you do? Well, I
1: feel very lucky, to be honest, because uh, as a blogger, you know, there are thousands of blogs out there, hundreds of thousands that people don't read. And to have everybody sort of come to me at one point in 2016 and start reading my blogs was just such a privilege that I, um, I thought to myself, this is your opportunity. You know, I've always felt like I had a message. I've always had an opinion, whether it's the right one or the wrong one. I've had to go back and correct my opinion, learn new things and all the rest of it. But I still have always had an opinion. and I didn't realise that made me controversial. Do you know what I mean? That made me an opinionated, I was raised by a single woman. I was taught that my opinion mattered. And so I never really paid that much attention to the fact that maybe I had a louder opinion than other people or a more self-assured one or whatever it was. I just thought it was normal. And then all of a sudden it was controversial blogger, you know, this and that. So I never meant to be that, you know, that person that was polarising and all the rest of it. It just sort of, it, it just came from who I am. And so I feel like the fact that people read me for the entertainment because they kind of think it's funny or interesting or whatever it is, um, it's my responsibility then to put, you know, the, the right things out onto the internet and to do the right thing by, you know, minorities or whatever, whoever I'm trying to do, the right, what I believe is right. Because otherwise, you know, you do have to look at your platform as a responsibility. You literally cannot just go. And if I'm earning money from it and supporting my family from it, I owe the people that are reading, you know, my authenticity. So that's why I sort of give them the vulnerable stuff. It's just very much like me. You know, I was a hairdresser for 15 years, 13 years, um, and mm. I was, you know, always oversharing with my customers. Like, they would be like, oh, my boyfriend cheated. I'm like, oh my God, mine too. And they're like, oh, you're not supposed to. It doesn't look like that. And
0: I would have been a really bad psychologist. I read in your book that you said you weren't necessarily a very good hairdresser. No, but people, people came to you for the chats That's and the connection.
1: Right. Yes, exactly. And it was a really good connection. I love women. And that took, years like I was a bit of a boys girl believe it or not when I was younger I was the big beer sculling hung out with the boys shit giving you know like I could carry my own in a big group of boys that were giving shit I was funnier and quicker and drank more <laughs> and then it wasn't until I had kids that I realized my first baby I was 25 and I realized that those friendships were really quite fickle and not, none of them were coming to visit me, you know, when I was pregnant and in the hospital and crying. But all of a sudden there was lots of women coming, women that I didn't even really bond with that well beforehand and um, especially if they'd had children. But even if they hadn't, they were just coming to sit with me when I was having a rough day, or you know, and I really went far out. I've been missing some very meaningful connections here and i became very grateful to be a woman.
0: Uh, and I think that, I mean, your following is... Do you have any men? Women. <laughs> 97% women. 97% yeah. women. And let's put it in perspective, you've um, you've written three books with your first selling, how many now? Over 200,000 copies? Yes. And um, which is hugely successful in the publishing world because the average is around 4,000 sales. Um, you've been interviewed by 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. which, again, and that was another thing that happened. I've, again, rarely watched, but it happened, this was before we connected, yep. was... I just turned the television on, and there's Constance Hall being interviewed by 60 Minutes. Yeah. I don't normally. And watch I was like walking in your front yard, <laughs> really, because I was walking on that beach down there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, "There's definitely something in this." But um, <laughs> getting back to the point, you've got over 1.3 million Facebook followers, 500,000 Instagram followers, and your TED talk has nearly had over 100,000 views. Um, that's pretty phenomenal. Isn't yeah, that? it is.
1: So, you know, I honestly, I think I spent the first year of like, I guess it was my life changed in 2016 when everything went viral and and the following just started growing and, and, yeah, and early 2017. Oh, no, it was, yeah, it was all of 2016 was the main big year and I just think that, like, I spent a good two years pinching myself and then I spent like another year with imposter syndrome thinking they're all going to find out I'm fraud and that I'm not worth listening to and that, you know, I don't even, I don't even know what I'm talking about half the time. And, ah, what am I doing? Someone's going to knock me off my throne, you know. I was just waiting for that big news article that was like Constance Hall is a fraud, but I've talked to my PR and, and told them all and they were like, you you're honest about being a fraud. You tell everybody that you're not educated and that you don't know what you're talking about and that you're fucked up and all the rest of it. So you literally can't be pushed off your throne because you're not fucking on one time, you're just like sitting on the ground rambling shit. And I was like, okay, thanks. I'm okay now. <laughs>
0: but you you know, you do you're self-deprecating a lot. And and I loved M Rassiano putting you. Back yeah, in she it. did, didn't <laughs> she? I'm standing up now. <laughs> I know. Have, have you processed that? Because she really was um uh, you know you, they talked about the narrative about you and, and you were like what's so what's so special about con and and you had a completely different view to em
1: yes i loved what em said and there's i think there's value, value there's definitely something in both. do you know what i mean like there is what she said is true i probably don't um but you know you need to be humble in this world. you can't walk around talking yourself up because you're not going to get anywhere and i put, i put i really listened to em's podcast i thought it was brilliant she interviewed me brilliantly and um And I listened to it because I just drove my mum back to Perth on the weekend. So I put it on in the car for my family to listen to And they were just like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Like, let's celebrate con a bit more, shall we? (laughs) And so they would put me back in my place and I was like, Okay, thanks, guys. Just, you just said to take five minutes it. <laughs> well, they're around you. Yeah, that's right.
0: That's um, right. Yeah, but look, I thought it was really interesting and, and her talking about your loyalty, your loyal community and why they're loyal to you. And, and one of the things she mentioned was about um, you connecting with people that, um, oh, no, it was more about, sorry, it was about the women who don't like you because you've had a big, and I don't really want to talk about that too much, actually, because if people want to, then they can watch your TED talk and mm. that gives a lot of insight into mm. the bullying that you've experienced. But um, it was about why have you got this, this following? And, um, and M's view and, and why do you have these following haters was that it, um, you're triggering repressed women. Um, who try to hide the shame and the darkness of their life? Mm. Where you just show it all. Mm.
1: That was. I think that was that part of the interview was like. Or what she said to me I was that was made me so like chuffed. I was just like, oh, that's so sweet. Because not that I want to make women feel ashamed of themselves, but it made me feel, you know, um, like it just made me feel better about so many people being so like hating on me so much. It was a better story than well, you're just shit. You know what I mean? And. Um, I think that the whole, like, you know, coming out as a victim of bullying is tough for me because I've been very resilient my whole life. I would never be a victim of anything. I would never admit to being a victim of anything. I would always just find my way out, be resilient, be funny, be, you know, do joke about it. And my psychologist wants said to me. She goes, you know, whenever we get a little bit emotional, you always crack a joke so that you can side swipe us. She goes, just bearing that in mind, because sometimes I think that we're just friends and chatting and I end up laughing at your jokes, but I have to bring you back and, and get you open. And I was like, that's true. I've always used humour as a way to deflect that I'm not comfortable being truly vulnerable. I do the vulnerable things online But that stuff I'm comfortable with, do you know what I mean? There are things that I'm not comfortable with that I don't open up about. And I think being a victim of bullying was one of them because I just sort of ignored it for so long. And then I thought about victims and victimisation and how much it's been actually, it's become a dirty word. And that's really not fair for victims. Mm -hmm. You know, like everyone goes, well, I'm not a victim. And it's like, well, what's wrong with being a victim? You know, there's a perpetrator and a victim. And so when I came out and I said I am a victim, it was really hard for me to say that because I wanted to be like, but I'm still tough, but I don't give a shit because I'm constant soul. But I am a victim and it has really fucking hurt me and it's okay to be a victim. And that, I think mean, that gave a lot of the kids that came to me permission to go, I'm a victim too and this happened to me. And I think hearing me speak the words that are spoken about me, because it was hard, you know, you hear my voice shake, you don't want to say these horrible things that are said about you for years. Um, it really made it opened the door for a lot of younger people to come to me and go, you know, this is all even mum saying this is something to my kids, and then we sort of realised how the huge problem bullying
0: is, and so much so. And I love the fact that, you know, and I think I actually messaged you on Instagram and said because you were having little, um, you were you were you were feeling the effects of some bullying, mm-hmm. and I think I messaged something saying, "Con, don't dance with it," you know, you're giving them your power, mm-hmm. and you responded with. Um, I've, I've been quiet for long enough, mm. I need to stand up. Mm. And then you, the TED Talk came out and I was blown away. The message was all about love the victim. Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah, looking it's, after the victim, putting out energy there. Put your energy yeah. with, and
1: with love. Yeah, that's right. And, and ignore the, it's just like kids. You know, like when your kids are all fighting and one of them goes, Rumi slapped me. If I go to Rumi and go, Rumi, I'm spread so thin in my household. So everybody's fighting for my attention and that's the golden past. I give Rumi the attention, you know. Instead, I'm ignoring Rumi, I'm giving Snow the attention because Snow's just been hit and she needs love and she needs her cup filled up again. And Rumi sits there and his cup's just depleting and he's like, well, i better not hit Snow again because this feels like shit, you know. So it's kind of the same with, with bullying. And then when you think about that theory, it works for domestic violence and we're all going, he needs to go to jail and he did this and that. No one, even like look at pedophile on the internet, that's the biggest thing that gets people enraged with good reason. But everyone just goes on this witch hunt. Capital punishment, we yes. need to do this. And fuck the pedophile. Yeah, lock him up, of course. But what about the victim? Nobody writes the comments passionately saying, What is this child? Where is this child now? Is there a fund we can help this child with? No one feels as passionate towards rewarding with love as they do towards that freaking witch hunt and, and the hatred punishment. So I'm just trying to say, why don't we shift our energy, and then we can all walk away feeling really good, rather than walking away feeling really unsatisfied because somebody wronged somebody and it's not right. And you know,
0: yeah, spot on. And yeah. I think this that just gives me an insight into why you do what you do um, so well is that you've explained some of your followers as being, you know, women who have endured some hardships and who are broken. And we all have stories, and we most more women than not have um, endured hardships, and that. You're, you're in a way giving them love and empowering them and showing them that, hey, I care, I've been there and um, it's okay. Mm. It's a really
1: hard um, scenario because, you know, like it's so hard to talk to such damaged people because they have been through much more than I have. And now I'm coming from a place of quite a lot of success and so I, it's very hard not to sound patronising. You know, where these women are in... I found when I was in a place that I didn't want to be in, everybody was like, well, you make your own decisions. Well, you create your own reality. And I was just like, fuck off. I actually need somebody to just go, wow, that sounds really hard. What can I do? What can we do to, you know, help? And so for me, I, you know, I have so many women coming to me and going, you have managed to just pull your life together and you've done so well and you're so happy all the time. What can you tell me to give me advice? And I'm like, what, what am I supposed to say? I actually got really lucky. You know, and I'm so grateful that I got lucky. But there isn't a formula that you two can follow because I waited until I had the money and, you know, I needed to earn some decent money and to feel good about myself. I have a million women telling me that I'm great. And that's, you know what I mean? Like I can't say this, I'm start a blog and get a million followers and then you two will get the confidence that I had. So it's really about like, I don't know, you tell me what you need. You know, It's, it's more of I can't give people advice because I didn't make that path all completely on my own I did it with an army of support and love and I just really don't want to ever come across patronizing to what women if you came on my tours you would know and I'm sure you know anyway because you're really intuitive but like women are in such a worse position than people think you know, people think, oh, they've got equality and all the rest of it. And people just don't know how much hurt we're carrying and how tough we have to pretend to be, how happy we have to pretend to be, how grateful. You know, like when you get them all in this really safe environment and they're all sort of got each other's backs, you really hear it. You know, I keep trying, it like cuddles and photos with like 500 women at my shows and they'll always whisper something in my ear. And it would just be like, you know, I'll try and educate my husband as much as I can educate a man. But I'm like, you don't know. You just don't know. You know, no one knows what these women are going through. Whether it was when I was in Ireland, touring Ireland and they can't have abortions. And this woman had a man having an affair who made her feel fat and ugly and treated her like shit. Husband, he raped her. She was 12 weeks pregnant telling us, what do I do? And then there's women standing up and going, I will take you to England. And we, you know, but it's 12 weeks. I don't know. Well, I will look after the baby for you. You can move in with me. And it was just this like incredible vibration was just getting lifted up. But it was also what a reminder of like, the situation that Western women are in, you know, it's not just like it's not. People are, well, imagine how Africa feels, and it's like, yeah, I always say to everyone, just because like your son lost his life in the war doesn't mean that you can't feel sad for my son who lost his legs. Right. You know what I mean? Like his life's not nice, still be there, but we can empathise with everybody.
0: And and I think you, the, the power of the sisterhood.
1: Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? I, I think that's going to be the change for us. I think that women need to, the laws let us down, the systems let us down, and I think we need to do, rather than fighting ScoMo, who's a fucking idiot, and fighting all these people in power and saying, give us this rights." there are people that need to do that. Penny Wong, I interviewed her, amazing, fight for us. But in the meantime, we need to just go, okay, do you know what? They just, just pulled out on funding, the extra funding for the domestic violence thing after the I don't even know the word for the politicians that decided it was just a COVID problem and that we didn't need more funding. And I was bawling my eyes out hearing that answer and Denim walked in and he was like, what's wrong with you? And I'd make up all over my face. I was like, we live in a fucked country and no one cares about women. And he was just like, well, stop fucking crying about it and, you know, do what you can do. And I've obviously got my resources and I think it is, but I've also got a spare bedroom and a couch that no one stays on, a really big comfy one. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that we as women need to go, What's our power? I could, if you're in an abusive relationship, I could so easily just say to you, come and live with me for six months. We'll find you a really nice house and you know, this stuff and people just need that from each other, but no one has that. We all think we're gonna be in the streets and or you know, we've got this vision that we're gonna be in like some refuge home in in five hours away from our family. And it's just, it doesn't have to be like that. We can actually come together as a team and a force and we can be more powerful. You know, like I really do believe like divided we fall. If we all stand up, everyone's gonna be scared of us. Men will be scared. (laughs) fix each other we can heal each other and we can change everyone's we can change their lives
0: yeah well I think it's um you know yes I'm I think yes all for women and and empowerment and I and I see the whole equality movement so powerful and so strong and uh and uh I'm all for it and I think it's very positive but I also want to everything needs to be in balance doesn't it Mm. Mm. but I think because it's been so out of balance, mm. it's, it's, it's rising. And mm. I think I'd just love to see a balance. Well, I think
1: that when, with the rise of the feminine, you know, we've had to survive in a man's world for a long time. That's what they've called it, the man's world and all the rest of it. And I think men can rise with us, but they need to embrace their feminine side and they need to embrace heart and soul and kindness. And that's all the nurturing mother, you know? So I really do believe that that's a really strong feminine. Like, look at us, we are naturally just biologically more connected to our babies and each other and men now need to understand yeah there is place for that sort of masculine energy absolutely but right now we've got to embrace the feminine and they do as well i agree yeah because we've, we've been really good at embracing our masculine energy haven't we we've had to do it for so long look at tinder women going i only want sex and then like, <laughs> my mother's saying to them like you won't call me back but you've got to play the game you know like we've really played the game now they have to start playing our game
0: And they'll be like, I really
1: want a relationship.
0: (laughs) So how do you, you've got um, many boys. Five. Five boys. How do you raise boys to embrace their femininity?
1: Well, I don't know yet because my kids haven't, I haven't seen how they've turned out. The jewelry's still out. I have a caveman son who is such a boy. He's um, that typical, uh, you know, they say that um, boys single focus and you can't get them out of their Mm -hmm. zones. Like whereas my girls can do, I go brush your teeth, hairbrush. Don't so shoes on where a boy, like halfway through one shoelace, is like, what was I doing? I have the caveman son. I have the really sensitive boy. I mean, and I have the, you know, one of my boys that just got a call from the school saying that he's been intimidating someone. So, and, I, and he's the most gentle, gorgeous boy. I just don't know exactly what to do. All I know is to continually try and to raise them with love and kindness rather than punishment. Like I'm just not into punishment and discipline. Discipline, the word comes from teach. And that's all we're here to do, just guide. They can teach us. We can just try and guide in the right way. So the more aggression, the more hideous, like toxic masculinity they're exposed to, I believe the worse they're going to get. So when it comes to, and this probably you won't like this with your drive for balance, I think when it comes to relaying the guidelines and doing the discipline, I like to leave it in the feminine side because we are the nurturers. So we are the ones that we mean nurturing in the right way, you know, and, and so I always say, my husband, do you mind if I handle this? Even if it's his son who's not biologically mine, do you mind if I handle this? Because I just feel like he might need that, you know. And my husband always gives love anyway. He's really feminine and really in touch with his feminine side when it comes to that. But I see, you know, for example, we have a um, we in Africa, the charity I work with, Rafiki. They deal with the most traumatized people in the world, children, you know, prostitutes at three, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't even like using that word because it sounds like they chose it, but. Um, they deal with street boys and these street boys are between the ages of like 10 and 17 and the entire, everyone in Kenya has always gone, you cannot rehabilitate these boys. They are rough, they are dangerous, they will turn on you. You know, it's like trying to tame a lion. You just have to leave them alone and look after your children 1st And Anne-Marie and Sarah, the founder and co-founder of no, we're not having that. They've been feeding the kids in town, going in and giving them food and cleaning their clothes for them for years. We believe we can bring them in and we believe we can love them and change them and help them. And, um, So Anne-Marie does this play therapy. She's a psychotherapist. And she is all about reward therapy, love therapy, play therapy. She doesn't punish anybody. And everyone thought this group of boys are going to come in and they're just going to work you, girlfriend, and they're going to leave you with nothing. She's I don't believe it. She just brings them in and she has episodes because, you know, they're damaged. But she said, for example, a boy pulled a knife out on one of the carers and um, it was, he was a Kenyan carer and his initial response is to get angry and to punish and Anne-Marie happened to be there and she just grabbed the boy and she just hugged him and she said, I'm so sorry. And he was like, for what? I'm so sorry that you feel so threatened. You feel like you need to defend yourself. You feel like you need to protect yourself with a knife because the world has hurt you so much yeah. and shown you that. But you're safe now and you don't need to do that. The boy bursts into tears and he is now like running the farm because he's grown up there and he works there. And um, these are the boys that no one will go near. These boys, I get to the farm when I got to Kenya and they were just, like, hanging off me. Like, there was one every metre. And I was like, what do you guys need? Mama was like, oh, they're just protecting you, honey, because you're their queen, because I've told them all about you. <laughs> and I was like, I felt really unsafe going to Nairobi. But then I was like, Jenna, I can't go back to Mother River. <laughs> I'm like, where are my protectors? <laughs> that's, really, that's, and that's really... That's
0: all just comes up, you know? That is a really powerful story.
1: Yeah, isn't it? I have tell people that. Like, Avra amazing, though. She's one of those psychotherapists that you just like, you wish she was your mother in law, you know? Like, she's just got love for everybody. And she teaches me things. I said to her well, it's, uh having a fight with Venom, and I just cannot fucking get over this. We fight over the same thing all the time. And she goes, Well, whatever you're doing isn't working, so do the opposite. And I was like, What do you mean the opposite? She goes, Well, when you walk in and you want to say, Get the fuck out of bed, you lazy, blah, blah, just give him a hug and say, Hey, oh, honey, it must be horrible not to be able to get out of bed. He was out
0: of bed in 10 minutes, you know? And it was just like, I always need her to continually recheck me. That's like one of my mentors um, who I've interviewed, Melanie Ryan, and she's like, she, you know, our whole purpose is is and to show love and compassion in every single exchange. Mm. To, isn't that to, amazing? To, as a human being, yeah, if we can show love and compassion in every single yeah, it's, and it's, I mean, it's so beautiful and so and hard, so hard yeah. sometimes. Isn't Do you it? reckon like, does she live like that? Like she's very loving and compassionate. Yeah. And I've never seen her being triggered or, and she's doing amazing things. Yeah, I think she very much lived by example, yeah, by what amazing. She says. Yeah, And that's, that's how you
1: learn, right. isn't it? I reckon you only learn from like, you well, don't learn from being told anything. Yeah, uh, you um, see someone else live their life like that and you go,
0: actually, I could probably copy a bit of that. <laughs> um, how do you keep open and loving? Like when you do get into a funk or... Yeah, well, you you I get think I went through a whole
1: year of, after my divorce, I got a lot of, the people that kind of loved me, I don't know, maybe because I hadn't really been honest about the fact that the marriage, I was leaving, but there was I, was, I was gagged kind of. I couldn't really say these things because I was still sort of feeling my way through it. And then I met Denham like straight away as well. Like I, um I think we broke up in January or oh, something like that. Anyway, it was a very small amount of time. I'd already met Denim as a friend and blogged about him. And we didn't get together for three months, but I don't think many people believe that because a lot of people say that, don't they? But I was actually chasing him. <laughs> except, um, he didn't. It took him three months to sleep with me, and um, which is rare, but he takes sex really seriously. <laughs> we don't. Anyway, so I I definitely think that there was this stage where I felt like I'd always had my squad. I'd always had my girls. I'd say something to them. They'd always be there for me. And then all of a sudden there was the tide was changing a little bit and they were like... I used to really—I I hate that one so much when people people can call me any name on it. When someone says, "I used to love Constantine," it seems to carry a little bit more depth. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like I've let someone down, and that was happening a lot. And I think that my happiness was kind of. Um, was just sort of triggering some people. Like, I'd really made this decision for me. I'd done everything for my children and so it did. And we both say the same thing. Like, we both chose each other for us. It was the first time that we just went, this is for me. And um, people just saw me as a woman going for love and sort of disregarding the last marriage. and Not disregarding the children at all because I wouldn't do anything that I didn't think was for them, but I was just going for myself at the time. And it was just rubbing some people up the wrong way. So after, and then that on top of the bullying and, um, Being in love, I definitely wasn't as relatable as a lot of women are that, you know, struggle with making the relationships work because I was just in that lust period. So there wasn't a hell of a lot that I could really write about without getting slammed. And so there was probably about a year where I was a little bit cagey and it took me and I didn't want to be at all, but I just sort of might have changed my tone a little bit. And um, rather than being, you know, my vulnerable self, I just didn't want to be vulnerable. I just felt like I was too vulnerable. So I needed to be a little bit more protective and that's probably a good thing. Um, and so then after a long time, I was just like, no, I love these women. And I, and writing for the people that love me, not the people that don't, or the people that used to. <laughs> so I, um, it was a conscious act. It became a conscious act. In the beginning, people used to say to me, You're so brave through all the things that you share. And I said, That's unusual because it's very natural for me to be uh, extroverted. And I've always done it. I've done things that I've really regretted on my private in Facebook when, you know, fighting with husbands and boyfriends and putting stuff on, you know, so tragic when I look back that the anger drove me and i bum, 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 ruining you. <laughs> You'll never run me again. Tap, tap, tap. Fuck my life. <laughs> so, like, I've been a little bit more responsible with it But everything that I share just comes really naturally. Whereas after that year of, like, um, whoa, this is actually, like, really hard. I'm out on my own. I'm not a media outlet. But, you know, I'm a person and it's, and it's personal. So then I backed off and then I had to call on that bravery that people were talking about. Then I had to go, like, no, you can be brave. You do it. And I think that the sentiment has come back around and that I feel really connected again with my audience, which is so important to me.
0: And you're in love. You're not in this yeah hardship place. Yeah, yeah. Isn't and that's, that interesting? Find, yeah. and whereas yeah. the women that were following you before, it's yeah. almost like you being happy and in love. They didn't. They I did was almost like then. Life. I had
1: all these like aren't, like feelings of have I normalized shitty relationships and made people feel okay about their shitty relationships? And now they don't like me anymore because they're still in them. Is that what I've done? And then like mine and Denim's relationship became more normal because, you know, we had a kid together and stuff like that. And then I realised that, no, I wasn't ever normalising unhappiness. I was just saying it's normal to not always be happy. So I'm kind of okay with that now. I did question it for a little while.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Mm. I see Dennis is into meditation a bit. You've yeah. publicly said he's far more spiritual than you. Yeah. How spiritual do you get? Um, do you feel like you have this intuition that you connect to mm. and you feel guided? Um, yeah, tell me what are what are your beliefs around? Well,
1: it? I had a boyfriend when I was 17, 16, 17. Did you
0: read my first book? Yes,
1: yeah, and, and the she, mother. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I desperately tried to become spiritual because they were so spiritual. So I spent two and a half years like So
0: can you just explain to anyone who Okay, so if anyone who's not listening, book.
1: his mother was a um clairvoyant spiritual healer. You know, I try not to give away too much. <laughs> but she um always made me feel like I wasn't good enough, you know. Like we had a, um, we had a she took us to get, um, what are those things, a chakra photo or a photo.
0: Aura oh, wow.
1: photos taken by these like specialists and he had like all just red aura and she was meant to be her spiritual, you know, she thought that he was like a gift from, from another dimension. Oh, and, um, yeah, and I had every colour under the sun and the woman who took the photo, she, oh, I've got to get my husband to look at this, he called his neighbour to come and look at this and, he, and they were like, oh, my God, we've never seen anyone. So, you know, and I was just like sitting there and the mum was just seething and I was like, oh, my God, maybe I am spiritual but I didn't know. And then um, because your energy, they were blown away by you. Yeah, they were yeah. completely blown away. They were like, we want a copy of this. And I was just this awkward looking, you know, cut off all my hair, like chubby little 17-year-old, and they were like, wow. <laughs> and he was like this graceful tall, you know. And um, sitting so in the car on the way home, the mum was like, just so that you know, the reason your energy was so good and Matt's was red was because you've actually sucked a lot of his energy out of him. Oh yeah, she goodness. was awful to me. She didn't even say it. She thought she'd be really loving and really, I'm helping you, but this is what you need to understand. And I looked at him because he was driving, us in the back seat, through the rearview mirror. I was like, giving him that look that you give your boyfriend, like, are you really going to let her speak to me? This? And she caught me. She caught my eyes. And she goes, If you've got something to say, say it. And I was like, I don't know anything to say. You're right. I've just been sucking his positive fucking vibes. (laughs) So I went through years of wanting to be good enough for this family. And they were sort of, you know, above my pay grade, if you will. And um, I really just wanted to be there. I don't know why. And then I realised no matter how much I was reading, no matter how much I was forcing myself to be this spiritual person and closing my eyes and wishing that this intuition would just pop into my head and tell me what to do. And I would just let me levitate in front of her, place. <laughs> God, if you will. And, um, and then I broke up with him. I actually up, I went to Melbourne and I lost heaps of weight. I was a chubby teenager. It was a really interesting time in my life. I went from being this invisible sort of chubby teenager to losing lots of weight and just being you know the person that everyone turned their heads at when I was 18. And that really gave me severe anxiety because I was so scared of going back to being invisible. I was getting the job at the cool pub at the cot and I was like, you know, they only had hot chicks and all of a sudden I was like a hot chick and all the DJs wanted to talk to me and yeah, and it was just like, I was so scared of going back because I've realised now how invisible I'd always been. I didn't realise that. And now I know that I was not invisible at all to the people that mattered. You know what I mean? It was just this pretentious little world that I was invisible to. I still do think the society's got a long way to come, where it come when it comes to, you know, how we view women and their weight and their appearance. But so the severe anxiety kicked in. Anyway, I moved to Melbourne and um, started hanging out with the gay boys. And, oh, yeah, they changed that. my life. They completely... for all of a sudden I have these tall, handsome, smart men who really valued my opinion and who really, you know, just loved me. And I was an apprentice I had money and they would pay for me to go out with them and take me home and sleep in bed with me and, you know, it was just incredible. I had never experienced anything like it and I feel like that gave me some real confidence to um, to be this more spiritual person. You know, like I had spent three years studying to be spiritual and then I moved back from Melbourne and I was like, I just felt really graceful and I felt really self-assured and I felt really better than these people because they were trying to put this, this ego into spirit. They were trying to make me feel worse but I was okay with them. So I was like, I'm actually... Not that I'm better than you, but I don't need anything from you anymore. I don't need your approval. I'm really. And they were like, he was like gravitating towards me, and I had the boundaries up.
0: So, spirituality, you finding your spirituality was really finding a connection to yourself.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think. So, I thought to myself, well, personal growth, I've come such a long further way than when I was trying to be spiritual. So, maybe this is my version of spirituality. I'm still not good at sitting down and meditating. Denim is definitely, Denim's a cynic though. So Denim doesn't believe in any spiritual people at all. And I'm a little bit more inclined to sort of like, I'll give people a go, you know? But he's just so seen, so much full of shit stuff. Yeah. And I think, yeah. and think, But you really do see what you're putting out there as well. Like I think that he feels guilty that he doesn't do the meditating that he knows it should do. Whereas I don't really feel guilty at all about anything that I'm doing because I feel like just going for a walk in the forest is my way of being connected. And so then I see. Like I actually see good and I see spirituality in people and I go, oh, my God, they're so beautiful and so grounded and so enlightened and I want to be like that in terms like, oh, for fuck's sake.
0: <laughs> okay. So you're the spiritual one. Maybe I am. That's
1: what I'm think That's where I'm getting
0: to. <laughs> um, do you wear perfume and connect with the power of scent?
1: I love the power of scent to the point where, like, my dad used to put rose oil on me when I was little and um and Take me to the butterfly enclosure in the zoo and just like wait for the butterflies to come to me. And I used to just be like, So, yeah, I just felt like a flower. And, um, and so, every time that I'd smell it, I'd smell him. And I'm real, I think my smell is my strongest scent. I can walk past a um, bush and I've taken back to some part of my childhood. Yeah. yeah,
0: the power of scent. Yeah. So, do you
1: use it? I've always sort of thought perfume chemicals. That's just what I've always thought. So, I would go, I'll wear a roll on, you know, like an um, like oil. But I never realised that there was this whole movement of beautiful, like, oily perfumes that don't give you rashes and asthma and won't give you cancer and, you know.
0: Well, most, you know, a lot of um, commercial um, perfumers do use synthetics.
1: Well, and yeah. Chemicals. And they're so all the so. ones that are...
0: <laughs> i got to get down to his driver's test. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I sweet. just
1: thought that's why he's angry at me because he's got to do his driver's test in 15 minutes. He <laughs> <It> was just... <laughs> no idea we've been here for like four hours
0: (laughs) (laughs) we've got part way through our podcast this is that one this this, this is absolutely part one i have we have to end it here but as you can all hear um con is absolutely fascinating and your energy is off the charts and there will be a part two there will thank you you so much for having me oh thank you you best go thank you (laughs) i've been dismissed